Hey, this is Zuri Berry. Before we get to the podcast, I want to tell you why this project is so important to Donnell and me. We started this with the goal of telling the stories of journalists who look like us in this industry we love. We want to recognize talent, celebrate achievement, and give some flowers to some people who are really deserving to have the spotlight put on them. But also, it's really important that we hear from our fellow black journalists at this particular moment in time when our industry has enormous challenges and our presence as commentators, experts, political writers, on-air talent, and investigative reporters seem optional to some. That doesn't sit right with me, and I hope it doesn't sit right with you either. I hope you're here to hear just as much about the successes as you are about the struggles, whether it's the struggle to get that first job to find a space where you feel like you belong, to find the bravery to strike out on your own or to have your voice heard, whether it's about the current state of media or otherwise. And so we want to thank you for supporting us by listening. And we want to ask you for your direct support of the production of this podcast. You can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash black journos and donating today. That's buymeacoffee.com slash black journos. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you. Now, on to the interview. This is the Black Journalist on Journalism podcast, a ZMC podcast production. Welcome back to another episode of Black Journalist on Journalism. I'm here with my co-host, Zuri Berry, special guest, Michael Butler of the Miami Herald. Michael, how are you doing, brother? Doing great. How you doing, man? Fantastic, man. About time we get together for this, bro. I've been waiting on this. Yeah, man. It was a matter of time. Cool, cool. So I'm excited to chat with you, Michael, partly because of your background as somebody who's been a a freelance writer who's been in a lot of publications, but also because you didn't start in journalism because you did other things. And so as folks who are getting to know this podcast and getting to learn what we're doing, we are trying to get into the backgrounds of people who are in this industry and are doing different things. And uh, and so that's why I'm excited to talk to you today, Michael. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You hear the nail on the head. Zuri, I'm especially excited about this one because I covered real estate here in Atlanta and I couldn't find a black real estate reporter to shake a stick at anywhere. <laughs> and then one day Michael and I hooked up on Twitter and we're like, oh, we're in the same field. We got to talk. So I'm really excited to hear about how he got started covering real estate in particular. Journalism for the beginning, but I definitely want to harp on that real estate portion because yeah, yeah. it looked like us. Yeah, let's jump into that, man. I think it's a great entry point. Uh, one of the things I, I get asked a lot is, you know, how did you get into real estate reporting? And uh, I don't take offense to it. Uh, granted, it's coming from people with different backgrounds, I'll just say. <laughs> uh, so I, so I, I, in my head, I'm just like, I'm pretty sure they didn't ask, like, everybody else here, oh, how did you get into this? But I I was a tech reporter for uh, almost two years, uh, full-time in Philadelphia for a publication called Technically, great tech publication uh, across several markets. And so... Uh, when the opportunity came for me to report on business in Miami, uh, I was able to say, well, okay, look, I already have been reporting on tech. Uh, I've been doing that efficiently. So, like, if I can report on tech, you know, I can report on anything else related to business. 
And it's not to, mind you, diminish people who have always aspired to be business reporters, been doing it for 10, 20 years, you name it. But I find that the journalism skill set is one that allows you to be versatile and it's something that served me well. So in the same way that I can break down, okay, this is what Microsoft did today. This is why you should care about it. I knew that I could take that same mindset and mentality into reporting on real estate and pulling out these deeper stories. Tell us a little bit about this transition, though, because I feel like you were in Philly for a good long time. Now, are you originally from Philly? What's what's your where are you from? And 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 what's it like then going from Philly to Miami? Two totally different. Oh, that's everything. hilarious, man. That, that's enough material for a whole separate podcast. But to be <laughs> to be concise, though, so I, I come from a military background. My father, he served in the U.S. Army for 24 years. And so with that being said, we moved around uh, quite frequently at, uh, you know, in my younger years as a youth. And so I've lived all over the continental United States and also Panama. My mother is Panamanian. I am Panamanian. And so, you know, I've just got this diversity of experiences based on the places where I happen to find myself. So with all that in mind, eventually later on, I went to college at Temple University in Philadelphia. I'm, I'm a proud Temple out. And I also started my career in media in Philadelphia. And so my frame of reference is very East Coast. You know, I, I appreciate being a Southerner at my heart and my core, but I was on the East Coast for a very long time, you know, and so uh, that, that comes with its own, you know, little nuances. But yeah, that, you know, that's just a little bit about, you know, where I am coming from. But yeah, I'm not originally from Miami or Philly for that matter. You know, I was born in Augusta, Georgia, you know, home of James Brown and just moved around a lot. Nice, nice. And the and the transition to Miami, how has that been for you? It's been an adventure. Uh, I, I can say that, like, I, I have found my stride. I've got my stride here. Uh, however, I was not prepared for, you know, how few, how much few, how many fewer black people I saw, or, or rather I see in Miami. By the numbers, Philadelphia is, is about 40% black. It has a huge Muslim population. I am not Muslim. However, you know, I have friends that are. And so comparatively, Miami is almost 20% black. So we're talking about literally like whatever you have seen before, cut that in half, you know? So it's, it's very different. And uh, at the same time, I'm Latino. However, I am an Afro-Latino. So I don't have blonde hair, blue eyes. You know, I, I don't look like a, a European that speaks Spanish. And so that's like its own other thing to unpack. And so socially, I think these things like are, are very evident. But overall, though, I mean, I think it's really, really chill. And I don't miss the Philly winter. You know, I, I can say I miss a lot of things about Philly. I do not miss the Philly winter. As somebody that used to turn very pale every, every, every October, November, I don't miss that. Um, I don't miss like, like my eyes tearing up because it's so cool or my ears aching. Like, uh, I don't miss those things. So, <laughs> so altogether, like, I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. 
I, man, I haven't even gone that far away from Boston, but I tell you, I, it, it, just Boston to DC, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah. have to deal with those winters anymore. Oh, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> man, it's all you had to tell me. It's like you ain't even had to say nothing else. That's all you had to tell me. Like, nah, man, you ain't got to worry about that no more. That's all you had to say. We get six cold like, weeks man, here in I'm... Atlanta. Six cold weeks and people panic. They freak out and they panic. Dang. It's 35 degrees and they panic. So I can only imagine no, going to New York. I grew up when snow was up to your knees. Jeez. Yeah. So. So, so tell me about this time period of your life when you were in uh, education. I, I'm I'm going through your LinkedIn. I see yeah, that you were a Corps member uh, in the Philly School District. Tell, yes, tell us about that time period. And I'm particularly interested in one, how you got into the education aspect, but two, how you transitioned from it to getting into journalism. Oh, um, that's an excellent question. Nobody ever really asked me about that. So, so thank you for asking me for that. Welcome to the Black Journalist on Journalism in. Podcast. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> And I thank you, Brad, for uh, checking out the LinkedIn. Uh, I forget that I even have that some days. Uh, but I got into Amer- so I got into City Year on uh, the AmeriCorps program. I'll be very transparent with you all. Uh, I was at the year before the, this is like 2009. Yeah, I'll just say it's about 2009. I was living in Colorado Springs, Colorado. My father, uh, he retired. Uh, he was, he's reti- he was retired by this point and he had just got a government job out there. And, I've been moving around a lot, just trying to figure out a life. So I was actually living out there at the time. And uh, my brother, uh, he was in my older brother, uh, you know, amazing person, uh, you know, great racial justice advocate, you know, Morehouse grad, Tulane grad. Uh, my brother here was in Philly at the time. And it was like, hey, if you can get a job out here or if you uh, decide to go back to school out here, you know, you can stay with me. You can li- you can just crash on my couch. You know, like, you know, we're coming from very humble means. So I'm like, okay, bet. Uh, I applied for the uh, AmeriCorps program and I just knew that, you know, I could fit the parameters of that. I could see myself, you know, working with, uh, with young people, with kids, being a mentor. And uh, it was a very, very, uh, life changing experience in a nutshell. For one thing, I had never worked in a school before. And so. I didn't understand anything. I didn't understand the nuances that had changed from when I was actually that age. So you're talking about the kids I mentioned were like, I think seventh grade. And so if I do the math in my head, you're talking about, yeah, it had been at least a decade since I had been in these shoes. And so it's so much had changed in like a 10 year period. I, I like, I, I'm from Augusta, Georgia. So like I got to go to a magnet school for a couple of years in high school. I thought that was it. I thought you either went to like a public, private, or maybe a public magnet school. So I had no idea what a charter school was. And uh, I say this to say like the Abbott Elementary show, uh, Quinta Brunson is putting out, it, it very aptly depicts the Philadelphia school district. <laughs> uh, because there's just so many deficits of, of resources. And moreover, uh, you're talking about uh, a lack of like of information for kids. And so I think seeing that was informative for me because I'm looking up every day, like, okay, why isn't this elected official come over here? You know, uh, why doesn't this happen? Why do these kids have to do this for this to happen? Why do these standardized tests matter so much? 
why I had more, I, I ended up leaving with more questions than answers. Mm-hmm. And so it was, a, I think that was a big point for me to realize like, hey, you know, well, reporters, they have agency and they can, they can like speak these stories into wider platforms, if that makes sense. And so I always had like writing. I always had a journal with me, uh, even before any of this. I always, I always, I was the person that, like, if you said an SAT word, a five dollar word, right? If you said that, I was a person to ask you what you said and write it in my little notebook. And this is before smartphones, so if I had to go wait till later to go find a dictionary, I would look that word up just so in the future I knew what that word meant. Or if you mentioned a concept I wasn't familiar with or something, I would go look it up. That's just, that's just the person I always was. I'm like, I want to know what that means. So that being said, that was, that, that fueled my journey into journalism. It, but that's how I connect education to journalism. Cause at the end of the day, all journalism should be educational or has some kind of educational merit. I'm not saying every, every story you're going to read, every doc you watch is going to be a Pulitzer Prize winning merit. But at the least, it's going to be a, it's going to be informational in some way, shape, or form. Whether it's about cotton candy history, whether it's about uh, the, the ancient uh, tombs of King Tut, but there's going to be something there that's going to be interesting enough to enrich your mind. That's where I'm coming from with this. So that's how I lean the two. I digress. Why do I feel like your experience in education really, really still helps you as a journalist? Though I feel like I'm talking about the, the way you dealt with kids and parents and whatever. You're still using that as a reporter. Because these things are inextricably linked. They're like, you can't separate them. And this, and I would say this, I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat this like, oh, you, oh yeah, you had a 4.0 your entire lifetime. Yeah. You know, you're, you're going to be a great journalist or to be a journalist, you have to be a great student. I don't, I don't be, I'll be very, very frank with you. I wasn't. I don't think I, I I reached my potential as a student. I mean, life is life. I don't think I was, I reached my full potential as a student, but within the academic system, but I always was somebody that was inquisitive. I was always somebody that wanted to know more. Like, I love learning. I don't do, I necessarily like doing homework assignments and singing in the classroom. Not so much, but I always love learning. I'll sit there at YouTube, look at YouTube at like one in the morning and then I could tell you everything about a documentary. Does that mean, you know, what does it mean? I like school, maybe not. My point is, like, you have to understand how all these systems work together and the place, the value of the information in these systems. You know, we live in a generation, I saw firsthand where a kid couldn't tell you, like, how, how to even fix, like, a decent lunch at night, right? But they can tell you where the local corner store is because they know that that's where they can go spend $5 and get like some chips and soda because for them, they're like, well, that's a meal for me. And I don't want to jump over nobody's anyone's head, but these things are really important here. And so like, I can't even begin to assume that this kid is going to want to pay attention to class and this kid is eating junk food all the time. But this is all their, the kids' frame of reference. So I think a lot of times, if you, you have a, a, a if you have somebody that doesn't even understand like the social strata there they're in of like, okay, why is this kid eating all this junk food every day, and why does this kid fall asleep in class, why is this kid like don't even do their homework at night? 
you have so much stuff to like pull apart. I have, I could have stories for days for y'all, but the whole thing is like, these things are all part of society. You understand? You know, you like, it's no secret that like, you know, in, in the bougie neighborhoods, they're not building highways through like their community. Mm. You know what I mean? Like their kids don't got to worry about, I can't sleep at night. You know what I'm saying? Like, however, like you go to like black neighborhoods, Latino neighborhoods, you know, we're lucky we even get like a slice of the budget. So I, I think these things are, you can't separate them. And the biggest concern I have is that without understanding the value of journalism and information, you, people are already separating them without even seeing that they're doing. It sounds like that you had this realization while you're there at the, in the core working in the Philly schools district. And there was a moment in time that you said, okay, journalism is a way, is a vehicle for, to highlight these issues and to talk about these systems. So what, what, uh, what was the final push? What was the, the final sort of helping hand, if you will, that got you an opportunity to start doing that work? That's an interesting story. Uh, actually, it, it was nothing related to journalism at all, actually. I, by the time I went back to Temple University, uh, because I was not a traditional student, I, I was trying to figure out what was next because the thing about Philly, and I think Philly is a beautiful, like, uh, proving ground for anybody. You, the three of us could be in class every day. I could see y'all every weekend when I go down South Street, maybe hanging out, get a cheese day, I don't know, get a new t-shirt or something. And we could all really be immaculately talented, uh, in one thing or another, whether it's like, you know, music, whether it's, visual arts, uh, whether it's like, you know, becoming a, uh, a journalist, you know, a media personality. And the thing is though, like, because everything is so present to you, you might not even realize that like, wow, I have these skills or I can do this well, if that makes sense to you. Because like the bar is high across the board. Everybody you know is, is well-read. Everybody you know has like all these different talents. You know, it's like being a basketball player for New York City. Like anywhere else that person goes, you know, they're gonna be they're gonna be like, wow, yeah. like, wow, where, where did you come from? But yeah. in Philly, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I just gonna be straight with y'all, but in Philly, everybody is like that. Yeah. And so, you know, I also like make music outside of journalism. I, I produce music, you know, I I, I love the music journalism are done because I love making music. I love making beats. If I, if I never earn a Grammy or anything well like that, I can say, I, I don't care. I love the music. And so at one point, a mutual friend connected me with a guy, uh, or rather, I didn't know these two dudes were, were such best friends. And I went to see a mutual friend. I remember one Thanksgiving in Philly. I didn't go see my family here. I didn't have the money for it. And we were in like this, uh, this club, this bar, a really popular spot in Philly. They did two of them, you know, they just cutting up. They ain't seen each other in a minute. They're both like just scratching, DJing and whatnot. And uh, the guy, uh, my our that we have a mutual friend, uh, DJ Damage, dope DJ, me a personality out of LA. He stopped me because I asked him, I'm like, yeah, man, we just catch him, like, yeah, man, what you doing, man? I'm like, man, just try to figure out how to get some placements. A placement for like someone who may not be familiar in the music business is something is like is like getting a, a gig or a job related to songwriting or production so your favorite song on the radio 
thing about the person in me that beat, that's a place. Boom. So I'm like, man, like I'm just trying to network and da, da, da. you know how it is. I'm trying to get like you, da, 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 that kind of talk. And then it, the guy stopped me. He said, hey, man, the last time I saw you, you were interviewing me for a blog, man. Like, 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 you, you don't know, do that? like, I'm going to be, yeah, I appreciate your reaction because legit, it took me years to now to fully like, oh, wow. Like, he was like, man, the last time you saw me, you were interviewing me for a blog, bro. Like, man, he had no reason I lied to me. He's like, I'm like, yeah, okay. He's like, you, man, think about like this, like, in the hip-hop journalism space, like, the bar isn't extremely high, as, especially as it once was, right? But he was like, not too, he was like, we both know, you didn't say, I, we both know a million brothers, sisters trying to get into the entertainment this same old way, man. I don't know many, not even a handful, not even one hand of people that's trying to, like, do journalism. Like that can write, that can tell stories. He's like, man, whatever you try and do, bro, you can get there way faster if you focus on this lane as opposed to being just another person. Oh, yeah, man, I got some hot beats on my laptop, bro. Or, bro, what's your email? Literally. And that was some of the most life changing advice ever because I always knew journalism and writing was important, right? I um, mean, I knew it, I knew I loved it, but I didn't. I didn't know what the potential was for it to uh, to go anywhere, if you will, because I didn't grow up knowing any journalists. That's something you saw. I think, but yeah, I, by the time I was that age, I had met like one lady at a now defunct black newspaper in Augusta, Georgia. And that was it. I didn't know any journalists. I thought they were like really rich, bougie people. They, they all are. wore suits. <laughs> right, right, right. The majority is still where you live. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. I thought they, look, man, the majority man, still I thought they wore, I thought they wore suits 24 7. I thought they spoke in a, in a media, a Midwestern media voice all the time. You know? And so I never saw a place for myself. And I, I just, I bring up this, this anecdote. I say this to say because so often for many of us, we only go off of what we've ever seen happen. Um, I didn't think I could go to college at any point until I saw my brother do it. My father went into the military. That was like, my father's from Carroll City, Miami. I guess Miami Gardens are basically like black middle-class suburb. They working middle-class, honestly. Like, so you, where he from, you were either going to the military or, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was it. So representation is important, but I also didn't realize how, how these things work. Uh, or even what gifts we might have. So, uh, you know, I didn't realize like, I even had those gifts. I'm like, wow, man, like we all are trying to figure out our way into the next journey, whatever. But like, man, you're over here sitting here asking people, can you interview them, bro? Think about that. And you're actually going home and writing this stuff up and blogging. He's like, I know a lot. I know a couple of people don't understand the third in that. But like, bro, like think about it. It's not many of us doing that. You know, so I digress, but um, that was probably for me the moment where it all started like sinking together. Like, where it's just like, yo, what if I, what if I just finished like, keep trying to go hard with this media thing? You know, like, what if, you know, I, you know, cause it's like, you can, it's like, he, he wasn't telling me stop making beats, stop making music, you know, stop going to the studio. He wasn't even saying that, but he was like, but at the same time, you got this rare skill set. Like, you know what, like, 
too many times we try to fit into these boxes just because we like all oh, snap. You either got a wicked jump shot or you you got a wicked flow. That's it. You know what I mean? Like, and it, don't, it doesn't have to be the way. Or rather, it's not even yeah. that way. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be. It's not that way at all. Shift the paradigm right there. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot there that I'm thinking about with respect to just recognizing or a recognition of opportunity and how something that you're skilled at might open up other opportunities for you. And journalism might be the way to be able to put you in different rooms in different places to to do things that you're really passionate about, that you really love. And so yeah. that's really cool. So who so who gave you that? first opportunity to uh uh you know start blogging to 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 uh, maybe get a wider audience if you will um, so okay so i think in the it i the, the interest of um the question you me asked because the thing was this right i i was blo- i think i was blogging like here and there but i can say hey man i remember i got to like start writing for uh, this is maybe like I, a year after I graduated college, I started writing for Metro Philadelphia, uh, which was like the uh, the local incarnation of oh yeah, wow, the Metro newspaper, yeah. uh, like yeah, like yeah. a yep. decent, yeah. and got a Metro Boston, that, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and so what's interesting about that, especially in see like Philly, and so like I I know Donnell, you're in Atlanta, I'm in Miami, Zuri, where are you at? I'm in DC. You're in DC, okay. So okay, DC is more urban. Like in the urban cityscape, people are, are more likely to pick up like, I don't know, man, like here, I got like a, a, bill, a bookmark here. People are more likely to pick this up to read on the train, right? Than they are to get in a car, drive somewhere, and I don't know, turn on the TV. Because everything in the cityscape is right there. It's ever present. It's tangible. Reach. So at the time, I didn't think it was crazy. I, I was going to pay like a hundred bucks a story, maybe 150 Good. Man, you do, man, you did was, better than I did when I started. You did way better, about five yeah, times man. better than I did. Let me tell you, twenty five dollars a story back in the day. Twenty five dollars for a high school story, like, high school story, man. In the rain, what was yeah. the I didn't realize how many people were reading it. For one thing, mm. and I didn't realize how many people were watching me. And so now it's like I always had to humble myself because, like. From where I started from, I think one day, though, a guy that I knew, uh, I ran into him. I was like, yo, what's up, bro? And we just passed each other, like, on a train or whatever or something. He was like, yo, man, yo, I see you, Metro Mike. Okay, all right. And I, That's dope, And bro. I'm mad because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, man, this ain't, this ain't the, that, the Washington Journal or this ain't, like, ESPN or something, man. Like, you know what I mean? This, this ain't Vibe Magazine, you know, but... It's like, no, like people were able to say, like, I could tangibly pick this up. I could read through here. By the time I started interviewing more people in the local art scene and just in general, people were literally like posting Instagrams of the paper with a face on it. Right. Nice. And in my head, I'm like, it's a, it's a free newspaper, but you know, for a lot of black people, a lot of people of other different designations, the background, like you never would have saw yourself on a physical yes. newspaper. Yes. Right. No, let me tell you something, because this this is such a good this is a good point. Right. Like when I worked at the Boston Globe and I'd get on the T in that area, it used to make me so mad that instead of seeing people read the Globe, they were reading the Metro because it was free. 
and they were just handing them out. And I was just like, man, like we need to somehow figure out what's what here, you know? It's anyways, I it felt like it was competition for me in that moment, but I also understood the power of just making it accessible, right? And being accessible is something important to our communities. We have a huge problem issue just overall in the media landscape with so much of good journalism being paywalled. It's a wild and radical idea to just give it away and, and, and be supported by advertising. And obviously for the Metro papers, it was a, a good business model for quite a while. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And the thing is like, I mean, I'll be transferring to you. Like it was good until it wasn't right. You know, uh, that's all under conversation, but at the least on the primary level, right? You have a product that people don't have to think about. So it almost, it's almost as if you have like an iPhone or something. You give a kid an iPhone, give someone's grandma an iPhone. They don't have to think about the product. They can just use it. So yeah. we'd be on the, on the, on the, on the train in the mornings. And I looked up, I'm seeing all these people reading the paint, that same paper. Yeah, it's free. But at the same time, there's value in it because people are at least seeing it paper and they're reading. It. So that was like kind of like a really unique experience doubly. At the same time, I had a day job. I was uh, creating digital content. I was working for the city's tourism organization. That taught me a lot about corporate America. That that's like a whole. That's like a whole other book. But yeah, like I I was free. That that's what kickstarted my freelance career at the same time. Because it's like when I graduated, and I wish more students knew this. Everybody think everybody thinks that wow, you're gonna graduate and all those internships are gonna like just automatically turn off. Like people are like they get the internship, that means that you're gonna have the job when you get done. Uh, no, 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 no. And in dub even more concerning is that like you can be the best intern they ever had. Literally. That does that does not mean that you're going to have a job when you graduate. So I I know where my tail off. I was uh, active with the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. I still, I still have so much love for them. I have like a T-shirt from them in my in my drawer. Uh, and I have friends in the org. I, I, I know where my tail off. Like those last few semesters in school, but I said say that when I graduated college, I didn't have a media job, not even entry level wing. Right? Uh, Philly is a really, really competitive media market. Yeah. It's not big. It's not big at all. Like people have the idea that like, oh, wow, you know, that media person's from Philly. Man, Temple is a media school. I'm like, man, I got the degree from there, bro. Like I went to all the coffee shop talks, man. Like <laughs> I, I I went to, I, 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 I sat outside of class waiting to shake people's hands. Like I can tell you, I did all of that. I was an active with student orgs. The whole point here is that we're a student. We need to be, especially as a black student, you have to be in the mind of being independent. Mm -hmm. You know, you can aspire for that job. That's great. But what will happen if you graduate and you don't have that job waiting for you? That literally happened. And I'm saying that probably should be, that happened to me. And so I was like, well, I know, I know how to create digital content. I know how to code a little bit. I was working on a tourism website. I was right here and there, but I wouldn't show any of my clips to anybody that I actually like respected. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was basically copywriting. So I say that to say like the Metro experience got me into freelancing. And that's when things started to get really different. I wish I could tell the mic back then what I know now, but that's when things were like actually 
moving. And I couldn't mm-hmm. see it because at the time I'm like, man, I'm only getting $150 a story. I don't know if I thought I was going to be lucrative freelancing. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I, I had a day job at the time, thank God, but that's what started everything. So, like, when I look at it now, like, you know, I can reach out to an editor and be like, yeah, hey, how you doing, man? Uh, like, hey, like, I want to write about this or whatever, you know? I had the relationships already at, like, these national places. You know, when I was a kid, I never thought I would write for Ebony Magazine. You know what I'm saying? I never thought I would write for it. Here, there, or the third. But it all built on that work that I started at Mesh. And that's the whole thing. It's all building momentum. I tell a young, young journalist, like young content creator, like, bro, I don't care what your age is. I don't care if you think you're too old to have started this journey. Like, especially now, just show people that you can write. One of my mentors at Temple, I got Amy Cables, amazing lady. She told us straight up because she had worked in the industry before on the TV side. She was like, when you graduate here, unless you are summa cum laude, don't put it on your resume. Don't put your GP on your resume. You can say that you went here, but at the end of the day, whether you went here or whether you got a 4.0, unless you were like an elite student, nobody cares. Immediately, yeah. nobody yeah, cares. They just want to see that you can write, you can show up on time, you can do the work. If you're a TV person, they want to see you're real. If you if you're an editor, you want you you want to be an editor someday, show people what you have edited. Nobody cares about that other stuff. You know, Donnell, you Donnell, you a uh, editor in chief. Tell me, tell me about this. When you're looking at resumes, do you care for any of those things? Availability is the best ability. You can tell me all this stuff <laughs> about your college mm. newspaper, all this stuff about your internship at the Washington Post and your internship at the Miami Herald, internship at the Boston Globe. All well and good. But today you're sitting in front of me and you don't have a job. And Ooh, what yeah. I want to be able to know is, can I send you out in the street in Atlanta, in my case, and you can come back with the story, with the photos. With That's, the it. That's it. All that college, That's that college degree ain't helping me. I got money. I'm glad you got yours. And, and I wish, and I wish, and I brought, and Donnell, you hit it on the head. <laughs> I mean, some people might get mad, but it's just like, it's the reality of the things. Cause at the end of the day or whatever, like you, we going, you, I, I, I tell people all the time, bro, I was just yelling on a panel. I, I look back at the playback on the video. I'm like, damn, I was, I was probably snapping a little bit, <laughs> but, I, but I was, I was like, if I was trying to tell everybody, I'm like, yo, man. Don't be over here trying to compare yourself to uh, me, him, her, whoever it may be. Not because I'm like, not because I'm a hell of a guy. No, you don't need to compare yourself. No way in this business because all these journeys are so yeah, relative. Y'all yeah. see me now in a suit and tie. Y'all don't realize how much free work I did, how much stuff I did for like 50 bucks, how much stuff I did just for, just for the byline. Because the PR, just a byline. Literally, the PR person must have like, more like, oh, wow. I need somebody at the event. Okay, this one guy in my inbox is here. Man, we can't really pay you nothing, but hey, you know, you get a free dinner. I'm like, okay, sure. Like, yeah. Like, I've done it all. I'm not all, not at all. I mean, I have some scruples, but my point is like, it's, I didn't. It's such, a, but it's just such a journey. And what ends up happening is people will see, especially with social media now, people will look at their phone and be like, wow. Such and such is doing this, such and such. Man, like, it's a journey. Like, and I tell people all the time with this business, 
you go look around and see that if somebody is that is maybe a little bit older and you seen them pop, it's because it took them the rest of that time to get to where you even know who they are. Like, you know, and so it's very much just like entertainment where it's like people will say that the brother from This Is Us, uh, Sterling K. Brown, yeah. right? Yeah. Sterling K. Brown, you know, he's a, he, you know, he's, he's a, he's a, you know, he's had a whole life already. And he was, he went to like top acting school, you know, duh, duh, duh. you were just not seeing him because this show and like he's finally getting celebrated, but he's been like, he's been like this for some time. Plus your career. Yes, sir. And so I, so I digress, but the whole thing with, I think with the freelance journalism and just you, I, my thing is you just never know your way in. I, I, I was thinking about this other day watching Golden State play the Lakers. I know those I'm a basketball fan. And I think about uh, this one Draymond Green anecdote. I know advocate for just punching your teammates. That's not what I'm saying. No, you shouldn't do that. Probably shouldn't do whoever, that. Whoever, before you start the Whoever season. is listening, please, please, I beg of you, please do not do that. Don't punch your coworkers, don't, guys. Don't, yeah, don't punch your coworkers. Don't do that. If you have a long day, just, even if you feel like it. Even, even when you <laughs> feel like it, don't. Especially if you don't feel like it. Yeah, just, just take a deep breath, walk outside. But uh, they, Draymond Green had this really interesting anecdote. Maybe it was from some a few years ago. And he was talking about his, how he got into it, like how he got into his current rule. And he was saying that he remembers he got, when he got drafted, he was like in the, the training camp or what have you, trying to play like LeBron. Cause obviously we, we've seen Draymond is very, very versatile guy, his size, handling the ball, defends everything. And he was just, he, he was, he remembers the coaches being so disgusted with him. And it was funny. He was he's like he's like, man, they tripping. Like, why are they gonna be mad at me, man? I'm I'm literally playing like LeBron James over here right now. And he said he's out playing like LeBron. And they're like, and then their whole thing was like, we didn't draft you to be LeBron James. We drafted you to be Draymond Green. We drafted you for your skill set. In this industry, it's too easy to be wrapped up what you see on Twitter, what you see on LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever your social media platform. Or, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, my aunt said that, my aunt said that this such and such is doing a lot. Like, it's cool. But there, no one is checking for you to be somewhere else. No one is checking for you because you follow somebody else's path or whatever. No, your journey is your journey. And can't nobody put no time clock on that. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, like in journalism, I, I harp on a lot, like, cause I remember starting, I can tell you, I can remember starting out like, man, I, I should be further along or, or man, I sent all these emails out and I ain't getting no response. Every, every question, every problem I thought I had at the time, now I basically have an answer. So like, I, I had to learn that in this business, you'll send out a lot of emails and maybe you might not get a response. That's just the nature of the game. <laughs> Nobody is oblivious to it. Nobody save God in heaven is oblivious from that. Like, and so it's like a batting average in baseball. If you say you bat 300, that's good, right? If you, that, that's great. Like in journalism, if you bat 300, yo, you, you doing it big. You doing it. I, 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 yeah, I will get up. I will clap for you. Because I've sent out 20 emails and maybe I got one response and that was a no. 
that was enough. You know, it just all comes with the territory, but I think so much of it is like, what I want, what I really was trying to see is like, it's not, we were at a point where it's not about being good no more. Like, if, if chances are, if you went to school for this, or if you even just went to school at all, like, it's not even a point about being good. Are you sharp enough? Are you well spoken enough? Is your elocution there? That is not even about that anymore. And you know what I'm saying? Like, a lot of times it might be an editor. They just fired somebody. A mentor actually shared a story, yo. It was kind of a while, but it was very fitting. He was like, man, I only got hired because the and the TV, uh, what's the TV, uh, what's it, the, uh, News director? the station manager? Oh, station manager. Program director, yeah. Yeah, the director, uh, he, had, he had fired somebody else like the day before, and they needed somebody literally ASAP. And it just so happened that this dude had given his physical resume to somebody and they called him the next day. And now this guy's had like a 30 year career in TV. Availability is the best ability. Can you be here tomorrow? <laughs> Can you that be here it. tomorrow? Yes. Okay. But because what are you, I know, I know, man, you're an answer. It's like, what are you there for? Right. Like you can't like if, if they turn something in, I know for a fact, Donnell can probably like clean up some and of the take something from it. Take something from it. Boom. I need you to be that's there. That's why he, that's why the editor is there. You're not there to be the editor. If you over here in your head where you're like, oh no, I don't know if I have the right outfit or, or I don't know if like, man, just show up. I mean, telling everybody that, bro, just show up, bro. Like, show up. That's show it. Up. Do the work. Do the work. Do put in the work and it'll all work itself out. That's Listen, yes, there's a couple of things that you said in there that I want to get to, but but the larger point about freelancing and how that was sort of, that was really when you were sort of making moves without even knowing it. And I mentioned to you this before we started recording that I wanted to talk about this a little bit more because it feels like given the state of media, newspapers in particular, that a lot of people are going back to freelancing as their primary means of expressing and doing their journalism. And I wanted to get your sense of this because right now it's like, it feels like it's a booming creator economy, right? I mean, Substack is a thing, you know, Patreon is a thing. All of people, I mean, we're on a podcast right now. This is, uh, uh, you know, nobody's sponsoring us yet, but I'll tell you this, this is where, this is the direction where a lot of people are going and said, let's create the content ourselves and own that content ourselves. What do you think about that? And, and what's the, the, I guess the current place and space for journalism within uh, the independent world? I think it's super important because it's something that we were never able to learn about in this capacity uh, to this extent at any of the previous point in history. And this sounds dramatic. It might sound like hyperbole. But no, it's the facts. Uh, we never, well, hey, right. Okay. So let's say, let me step back for a second. Economically speaking, right. We have never witnessed a moment where in which, you know, gas prices are like this. Uh, uh, a thing of eggs, a dozen of eggs costs who knows an arm and a leg. And people that we thought and people that we legit thought were balling, like they're even acting like, yo, man, this, this is why you. Like, you know, if you're trying to buy a house right now, you're better off, like, buying a new computer for yourself. Start a business. Like, you're, you're going to see more of an investment. You're going yeah. to see more of an investment right there. And so, you know, 
that the tools are right there for us. I'm not in it when I see like this. I don't. I see every person is going to become YouTube uh, and have the little the little plaque on the wall. Like your favorite YouTubers, if you watch them, they got a plaque on the wall. Everyone not going to get a million views and million subscribers. I think those subscribers, not new subscribers. You know, everybody isn't going to have a Substack that is like painted mortgage off. No, the reality that it just is not there. At the same time, though, and you can own those skills, whether or not you decide to do full, a full-time freelance or you just want to have your own thing shaken, you will always be served well because there are certain skills you learn as an entrepreneur that you can use in your job. That you can use in any setting. So I think that this moment in history is unique in that sense because we need more Black journalists and creators taking agency for themselves in any way, shape, or form. I think for so long with this industry, it was almost as if we were waiting to be chosen. Uh, and I can't say that in any polite way or whatever, because I know I've been here before. Like I used to think to myself, oh, the dream job is just going to open up for me one. And the reality was these people in their newsrooms and their jobs, they're like, well, shoot, I got, I got work. I already got to do. So like I'm recruiting talent and I don't see your name. I'll see your resume. I'm going to go to sleep tonight. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah, I'm still going to keep doing what I have to do. So yeah, I feel bad for you, but what does that mean for me? We we need to have more agency. I, I think all the time, I wish when I was a black college student, I knew that I could freelance. Like, I wish I had known that. Like, literally, if I could make an extra $500 in semester writing about music, going to concerts that I already love, it's a no-brainer. Stuff that I actually know well. Like, I know the intricacies of. And that's the whole thing. We're not getting compelled to do that. Or rather, we're not getting pushed to do that. And I think that's a, that's a grave danger because, like, we need more of that support. There's what I'm trying to tell you, man. We need more of that support. We need more of that support. Like, uh, and we need to, like, be able to take pride in our in our craft because if it doesn't happen now, when is it going to happen? You know, this stuff is taking off here. Like, this, like ha- having your own podcast, having your own YouTube channel. Uh, freelancing. I tell all my friends, I don't care if you're a lawyer. I don't care. What are you like? Yo, yo, man, I got a whole email of freelancing tips. It's probably a thousand, fifteen hundred words that I wrote that I literally will send out to any person. I'm not no gatekeeper that if you hit me up, I will send you that, John. Cause like there's stuff that I learned that I don't want other people to have to like deal with. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know what the white noise is like when you're not getting no responses. You stand there thinking that, dang, I hear something. You're hearing the air conditioning. That's what you hear. You're not. <laughs> man, that noise in the background, that's, that's the air conditioning. That's the oh. air conditioning. This business of having leaning into your computer like, oh, snap, wait a second. Bro, you ain't heard nothing, bro. You hear the air conditioning. That's okay. I'm glad you have AC, but let's work on other stuff. You know, and like, because I think the, the radio silence, we call it the business, that thing will like destroy somebody's ego. That would destroy your ego. It would destroy your passion. And it so it's your like, spirit. Well, all of that. And so at the least, if you can realize just in a way that I put on two shoes to go out tonight, you do, you do. This is a part of, 
of life, yo. Like, we all got to, like, accept it. And, and more to the point, I think uh, Nick Cannon was talking about this on the All The Smoke podcast, like, yesterday I was listening to. Nick Cannon obviously seems like an interesting guy, but he was talking about Hollywood and how fickle the business is. And he, he left, so he's saying something, basically, Nicholas Cage uh, dropped out of a project to do with him. It would have been bigger than, like, Fast and Furious. I'm not going to go into detail, explain the whole thing. It turned out Nicholas Cage skipped out because they didn't give him two more million dollars. And he ended up doing National Treasure. And so Nick Cannon was like, bro, I've had so many moments in this business. Right? He's like, I'm on. Like, I don't not finna be on. He's like, bro, I'm on with this one, bro. We good. We ain't got to work again after this. And he's like, but not one moment. He's like, I've had multiple moments like that. I would be, I would be surprised if I thought that any journalist that tells me that they haven't had multiple moments where they just like knew it was sure. Like, like, you know, like, yeah, like, I know y'all can attest to this where his moments were just like, man, this, this one right here, like, oh man, bring me all the awards, bring me the Pulitzer, bring me a side of a, a red velvet cake, bring me everything, bro. Like, and it just doesn't happen that way, you know? So I think. The more that we get to freelance and do entrepreneurial stuff, the better professionals will be. Because we're going to be black before we are a journalist, reporter, business person, whatever. We are always going to be black people in America. So the more that we can do to support ourselves when we're without violating nobody, like that's what we need to do. Yeah, that's dope. That's perfect. Because you said this, you said, I never saw a place for myself in journalism. And that's yeah. and I'm I'm at a black newspaper. And I feel like what I where I'm working is a place for young Michael and young Zori and young Donnell. Matter of fact, I know for a fact yeah. I got here at 27 and they gave me a spot covering the Hawks when no one else would have. So I know there's a place for us. You're right. As long as we keep on spreading the word and sharing it, other young reporters and journalists will know there's a place for them too. Can, can feel you when you said that. Though. I remember saying, "I don't know if this is for me." Yeah, because I, I don't know nobody like this, so it must not be for me. My father was a super, the super for the builders. He opened, he had all the keys and everything. Yeah, yeah. I know that's for me. I know the mailman was for me because he was black. Cops, the cops, in my neighborhood were black. People at the hospital were black, but there was no black journalist. I read the paper every day, but nobody's black face was in it. The your daily news. So it was crazy when you said that because I felt that. Like, I know a lot of people listening to this mm-hmm. feel the same way. Michael, I'm super interested in the, that, that time period where you started looking at real estate and how that transition worked. I know you spoke a little bit about that earlier in our conversation here about how you could apply your skills that you had learned to basically anything, you know, whether it's the tech space or now it's to uh, real estate. But, uh, Tell us how you were able to pitch yourself when you were talking to the Miami Herald about this this role. I had to stand on it. I understand all the work that I had done most recently. And so I always tell people be consistent. I don't care if you're doing something with like, with your local, like, I don't know, you know, community newsletter or if you're doing something with ESPN, the undefeated, like consistency and also being able to know what you're talking about. So more than anything in this business, your your editor wants to know, your hiring manager wants to know you know what you're talking about. Like, okay, like, now I'm not asking you if I'm hiring you for, like, another beat and I know you haven't never worked this beat, 
don't act like you know about real estate. Okay. I'm not, I'm not hiring you because you know about real estate. I know you're not an expert. Maybe another candidate is, but what's going to get you over the hump is going to be how well and passionate you are about what you do and put on and what is tra- transferable. Like, right. Uh, what, what things are tra- transferable there? Because if they wanted a real estate person that 50 years in, they could have got, there's no doubt in my mind about it. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and put my ego or lie to y'all. No, it is what it is. But I can say, okay, I read about tech up and down. I know tech like the inside of my head. And I've written about all these other things. So if I can't show you nothing else, I can show you that I'm a great writer and I'm passionate about what the subject matter is. Because the whole thing is this. You can always find a passionate reporter that can just get immersed in something and start to like pick it up versus somebody that, oh, well, they've done the work before, but maybe they're really bored of it. And they're just doing this because it's there. Mm. It's a lot of it's a lot of people like that. You're like, man, bro, you don't really want to be here. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I have stories about that. Like, you could be like, he's getting the work done. Excuse me, he's getting the work done, but like you can tell he don't even want to be there. And so what I found is like, and I, I translate it to anything. Like, I've had mentors be like, man, Mike, you got a lot of energy, man. Like, you can you can't you can fix everything else. You can't. Like you can't picture enthusiasm. I, I want to like I want to call a nice amount of PC or whatever, but you can't fix enthusiasm. Like you can't like get somebody to be more enthusiastic. Like someone can be like way more talented again. But I can tell if you care in that. Like, if we stand right here and you're and I, I, it's an assignment, and you over here like uh, fixing your face or acting like like oh nah nah nah. It's like bro, you can't fix it. No. No, no. And that's a good point. There's a couple of things that you just said that I like and that I would say I would point out when I would look for a reporter or somebody that I was trying to hire. One is that curiosity, always needing curiosity. It shows up whether people, you know, if you have it, you have it. If you don't, it's pretty obvious when you don't. And then sometimes you want some people who are obsessive, right? People who can't let things go. And there's yes. a lot of reporters that find themselves to be very successful, whether or not they're, they're deserving. It does another matter, but, but can be very successful just because they're obsessive over the things that they cover over, whether it's music, whether it's politics, wh- whatever it may be. And I think you need a little bit of combination of both. And you've sort of described that. What's your, yeah. what's your thoughts there? Yeah. You need to know on the air right there, Zuri. I think that's where things are going. I think what we're seeing is like, this confluence of culture is what I like to call it. So before you could get by and say like, okay, I'm the real estate reporter and all I do is talk about real estate like five times a day. Like all I, this is all I care about. Like literally like I go to sleep thinking about this. I turn copy before anybody else. Now it's like, you have to be like a 360 realized individual, which you should have always been anyway. But it's like, okay, what does real estate mean for like Miami's tourism industry? What does real estate mean for Miami's tech community? What does real estate mean for hospitality? Hospitality is a big thing here because there's way more room and there's bigger audience in talking about the connections as opposed to just be focusing on the one thing. You don't have to be the cool guy 
and like the amazing haircut or something and the cool expensive clothes that is reporting on real estate. Like, no, you don't necessarily have to be that. You don't have to change yourself in ways you're reform. But you have to understand that this is one part of a society. And I think journalism is a finest example of that because if I know how this works over here, why if I know why the rent's going up and this is a real estate thing, then I have to wonder about the tech sector. How many of these new people coming are taking homes from people that were already here? These are mm. two way different things, but they're also connected. And so I say that to say, like, there's way for, how do you say, like, false, if you will, to be versatile and understand everything, how it connects than it's ever been before. Because now it's like, I look at it, I, I value versatility. I value being able to say that I've written about anything under the sun. And if I haven't written about it, I I can do I could do right in. I do not mind being up to four in the morning, like researching stuff. That's the kind of that's the profile of the reporter now. Uh, and I, I, it's a direct parallel to the NBA. I I argue, I argue, and I debate this a lot. But I think the the NBA overall is more talented than it's ever been. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, like you got guy kids now that are doing Euro steps. They know how to post well. They know I shoot three, that play hard defense, they're hustling. And it's not to diminish previous eras, because every era has had amazing players. But I can say in good faith, every person in the league right now is like, man, I gotta learn something new to keep my job. You know what I mean? It's not like the nineteen fifties when it's like all white guys and they're just doing this like it's like the YMCA or something. No. That's how I look at journalism. I'm like, man, if, if, hey, you had the mayor, if you had, if there was enough little bit about you that was crazy to where you saw this as a, as a, as a path, I already took my head off to you because you got to be a little bit throw it off to work in this business. <laughs> I ain't that the truth. Hey, man. I don't know how I say that politically correct, but you no, got to be a, there's no, there's no, there's no way around getting, you know, you need to be a little different. You got to be a little bit different. And on top of that, then once it's like, all right, well, okay, maybe this dude over here is just wild. Maybe he's like, just chaotic. Maybe he's just like doing wild stuff. Then you have to be good. But then beyond that, you have to be a good person, right? And so then it's like, I mean, I'm not no saint or anything, but I was telling somebody, some kids, some college kids recently, it's like, bro, you're going to be a good person before you're good. And it goes back to the whole energy thing. Like, if you come in here sour or whatever, or Oh man, I shouldn't be carrying this, uh, this around or whatever, or I shouldn't be, oh, doing the grunt work or whatever. It's like, I don't believe me. You got paid. I don't, you don't, you don't got to get hazed, right? I don't know one of the people like, oh man, I carry 10 pounds of bricks in my back pocket just so I can get to school. No, I'm not one of the people. But at the same time, understand that like maybe that's not your time. It's just, just when you accept that, then you're like, all right, bitch. Cool. Like, I want, then if it's on my time, I can see Donnell shine, right? I can see his shine and I can help amplify his shine. I can help Zuri shine. I can help amplify you. Because in the end of the day, like, the more I amplify y'all, the better it is for all of us. I, so, like, if I'm doing it off the love, it's just like, because I genuinely believe in you and I'm not looking for like nothing return, but it's just like really like remembering that, like, yo, what are you doing as far as like being? Just a good person. Like, is it texting somebody like, yo, man, thank you for having me out with you today, bro. Like, you didn't have to do that, bro. I appreciate it. Like, 
Like nobody ever let me hang out with them for all day on the job or whatever, man. Like that was big for me, bro. Like, or, or even something as small as like, yo, man, hey, can I get you a coffee? I mean, I've been running a lot with you all day, bro. Can I, can I get you coffee, bro? Like, you know what I'm saying? The, the downside is everything, but I think you mentioned with like this new economy of journalists yeah. is that everything's because of transaction. And so before when I was coming up, I wasn't so aware of all the layoffs in this business. Well, great. And while I was coming up, it wasn't as bad. That, I think I could be transparent there. That being said, with social media, it's like, man, you can be an average person. You know what's happening at Vice. You know what's happening at Gannett. You know what's happening at wherever. And that stimulates the way some people are thinking. And so some people are like, man, I only even want to get coffee with bro because he will give me a job. No. No. Like, bro, do you care about like how my mom is going? You care about like, like how I'm doing, you, you, whatever. And so it's a fine balance. But I think at the end of the day, people are going to remember you more for being a good person than they ever going to remember your byline. Like, you know, you- Wilson posted something on Twitter today. And she, she often posts something similar to this, but she said essentially that this is a small pond, this industry. You know, we're working in a very small pond. There's not so many of us out there. And those that are in this business are in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And so everybody remembers. So when you burn bridges, people remember. When you have bad relationships, people remember. And so it's always a good idea, no matter what situation or where you're at in terms of rank or whatever. None of that stuff matters. What matters is building good relationships, having good relationships with your colleagues. So when you say get coffee, I think about all the times that I've just like, hey, you want to roll with me to Starbucks? It's on me. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. let's just chat it up. Like, I just want to catch up with you, whatever it is. So that way we can, you know, you know, stay connected and stay on the same page. You know, that's 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 how people want to be treated. They want to be treated well. They want to be treated like a person. They want you to see their humanity. And so it's always a good bet to treat people in that way because it comes back to you a thousand times over. Yeah, here's the biggest thing. Uh, and Benet will say, uh, on Benet yeah. drops a jewel uh, every once a week. This is a jewel she's dropping on Twitter. <laughs> you <laughs> guarantee it. Yeah, like on Benet, uh, I can probably call her a mentor, but I think it's like she, uh, she, she, uh, she mentioned she mentioned this in a post we were just at. I it goes uh, it for fun. We can get done. You go to Benet Wilson's uh, LinkedIn and count how many followers she has. It's, it's, it's an absurd amount of followers. Like literally, oh, yeah. like it's an absurd amount. It might be hundreds of thousands. And it comes from her just being like, just being mad, mad too. I'm mad humble. But also the idea for her is that I can give something back to this ecosystem. Right. So like, I, can give, I can give something back to you. Like I can make sure. I can like get some, I can get something back to me, whoever. And you have to think of it from that mindset. Like I've been in this now maybe a little bit less than 10 years altogether. Like if I, like if I go back to like my, my internships, all that stuff. And I didn't realize how much there's a deficit of information. And so like I got people now that might reach out to me like, bro, I saw you did this for all player. 
And they're not even asking me like, yo, man, keep me out of you. They're like, yo, man, how did you write that story? And, or even worse, like, not worse, but even more intense. Like, how did you pitch? And I'm in my head, I'm like, bro, like, if you got time to get on the Zoom drawing or whatever, bro, we can do that. Like, because pitching is like an art form, but nobody tells you what it's like, right? Pitching is its own art form. You know, maybe you never had an editor before. Maybe you've been, never been in news before. Maybe you never had someone break it down to you. Like, okay, cool. That's a great idea for a story. A lot of times, like, people be like, that's a great idea for a story. You should write something about that. Okay. Now what? Now what I do? Now well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, you're saying there like, dang, you being here put a computer like, okay, if somebody, uh, somebody just said, right, this would be a great idea for a story. Yeah, um, yeah. Man, I don't know. Listen, man, I feel I feel all kinds of ways about this because, uh, you know, I often ran into the situation of uh, getting pitches and, you know, not having anything to do with them. And I'll tell you why, because mm-hmm. not every newsroom is set up to accept pitches. Right. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. there's a lot of freelance reporters that don't Ooh. realize this, and, and PR folks as well, they don't realize mm-hmm. that not every newsroom accepts pitches. Some of them actually just reject them outright. Organizations that do, typically magazines, typically sites where you see a lot of freelance yeah, work, yeah. that's that's where you want to go. Pitch that's where you want to focus your attention. And and they'll usually give you some kind of parameters to do them. But it's it's really interesting that again, a deficit of information or whatever it may have you, like there's a real sort of thought process that needs to go in with respect to where am I actually going to with that pitch? Who should I be talking to? And how do I uh, structure that pitch so that way it's successful? I mean, all of right. those things are, feels like it should be taught in college, but they're not. Well, that's the other part, that's the other part of this whole thing where it's like, when they're, what, when they're what's the value of education institution orders, I'm not attacking my colleagues in academia or anything of that sort. But I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Uh, one of the biggest debates right now in the tech world is whether or not you should go to college and major in computer science or you should go to a tech boot camp. Now, I can give you the sheer numbers and you can draw your own conclusions. A tech boot camp might take you six to eight weeks, maybe cause there are some that are free. Let's say it, let's say it costs three or four K, right? That's a lot of money. It's not cheap, but you can come out that boot camp with the skills to get an entry level job at Alphabet, entry level job at, at Meta, entry level job at whatever your favorite tech company is. Entry level job in tech, you're making 70, 80 K off the bat, like off the rip. They just want to see that you know how to like, Develop code, whatever you make, it seventy eight eighty k off. The it's worth the three thousand dollars, obviously. In that case, right? You go to college. the The academic, the academic learning curve for college side programs just doesn't advance as fast as the industry. So, if you're lucky, you'll meet people that have been in the industry, but you're still going to take out student loans, most likely just to be able to learn about this stuff without the actual application. I look at journalism very similarly. Okay, let's be straight. Let's just, let's just take the cow out of the bag. Like every, with journalism, unless you want a Morehouse or Hampton, I guess Howard because they've had a lot, they have a good media program. 
then they're pricing with the HBCUs that I can mention. They have great media programs. You're just going to school and that's cool. You're just another college student. And, and PWIs, unless you go to a temple, unless you go to a USC, Missouri, um, unless you go, yeah, you're going, you're just going to, you're just under cost. I'm just going to be very, very you. Why do you think grad schools exist? Cause they know that you're going here and you're just like a college student. So you need something more to differentiate yourself. Boom. So the issue I have is that like within a lot of journalism programs at schools, you're not getting kids are not getting all the tools or getting all the information about the industry to where in which they can decide, okay, I want to succeed or I want to do this or I don't want to do this. You just told, okay, you were on the student at radio for like two or three years. You know how to work a radio board or you, you help edit your school newspaper. So you know what it's like editing at a top paper. You're just another college student. Oh, cool. Oh, that was a cool project. You might as well just told me you played basketball for the team or something. And that was your extracurricular project. I mean, at least with the basketball or the sports, you got leadership skills. Maybe you're just somebody that was in the room when they did the paper. I don't know. And so, like, we need to, like, start telling more kids. And this is, I guess, a plug for my school. I don't think they're perfect. But, I mean, they're my alma mater. Well, we had this major called Media Studies and Production, which is like, what I did. Uh, it's basically like a modern communications major. I didn't major in journalism. So I'll, I'll tell everybody, you to work in this field, you do not have to major in journalism. It's sometimes it's, sometimes it's a detriment, actually. Sometimes you want the other skills in, in other well, fields. Man. But you yeah, some, you ask some people. We're talking a whole other podcast yeah, subject, right? Well, well, <laughs> I'm an English major. That's a whole other well, podcast. I, the reason I look at media the way that I do, and I'm thankful for it now, is that like we had to, we had to study the history of media. So we had to study like why, how NBC got started, how there were two different stations. We had to study, study the history of radio. Like, you know, what did it take for us to get to like High 97 and, uh, in Atlanta, uh, Frank Steele, uh, Wanda, which was that? What station is that? Uh, uh B1, B103. B-103. Yeah. How did we get to these stations? What was black radio like before hip hop? Right. It used to just be like, you could hear hip hop and like maybe on a, on a late night or some shit. Oh, so excuse me. That was some pirate radio somewhere. Uh, yeah. It wasn't even mainstream. <laughs> right. So we had to actually study the industry and the history is there. And, and we also had to understand like all the different ways people are making money in this business. So we had to understand like what a good business model for our organization is, you know, like what works, what doesn't work. We had to like actually learn this. And then on the content side, and I know now my god sister graduated from Temple a few years after me, and she learns even more so than I did. Now they know how to make TikToks and Instagram reels and monetize it and tell news that way. Yeah. Wow. And so it's that's like dope. that's dope. That that's dope. dope. You right. it's like I've been thinking about it, bro. I'm like, man, I just want a young person to be able to be aware of like all the opportunities they have because news looks so different now, and I think that's beautiful. I just want people to know about all the different ways that they can tell a story. There's some kids that like they can make a 10 minute, a 10 second TikTok and get like, bro, I don't know how many views, like literally. And for them, they can give you all the who, what, when, where, how, or why, like all of that. Boom. If that's your lane, do that. That's, that's, that can be journalism. That's valuable. It's valuable. 
it doesn't always have to be. It's not necessarily always journalism. I mean, a lot of, there's a lot of nonsense on right. all these. Things. Right. You know what I'm saying? But it can't work. It can't work. And so my whole thing is, I'm just like, man, use everything that you got, bro. It's like you cooking, bro. All you got is some eggs and some rice, bro. That could be dinner, bro. Like you get some good seasoning, bro. Like you can hook that up, bro. Like that's <laughs> that's my that's my frame of reference. Make do with what you got. Make do with what you got. That's that's what we gotta do more of, for real. Michael, I feel like we, we, we're having a really good conversation. Oh. It could go in a whole bunch of different directions from here. Uh, oh, but I know we're past the hour. Let, let, me, let me ask you this because you started touching on this in terms yes, of sir. advice and things that you've said to young folks that have come to you and, and talked to you about this business. What advice do you typically give to young journalists as you're speaking to them? What's, your, what's on the, the number one piece of advice that you want to give right now? You know what piece of advice I would give is to believe in yourself. I feel like when I feel like when you're a journalist and you believe in yourself, especially when you're starting out, and when you just have that belief that like I can do this, that change that changes your possibilities tremendously by like saying that I believe in myself. And because we see, bro, we see it all the time. I, I'll tell people there were people that I believe were better writers than me, better in networking than me, better at whatever you could say than me. And for whatever reason, like, they, like, how do I say this? I guess politely, they kind of tapered off. You know what I'm saying? It, it's because, like, you could tell, like, at some point, people might not believe in themselves. It's unfortunate. I think when you're Black in America, you're taught not to believe in yourself. Like, you're, you're taught to humble yourself. You're taught to talk a certain way. You're taught that, you know, oh, yeah, your voice doesn't matter in the room. And in this industry, like, all you have is your voice, literally. All you have is your credibility, your voice, and your ability to show up. So, like, just believe, believe in yourself. It sounds hokey. It can sound motivational speaker, whatever. But, man, this is not no other kind of industry. Like, this is a very competitive industry, a very white, male-dominated industry. talking about industry. America. Everything froze. Oh, snap. Man. man it froze man, for you, man. too? Okay. Yeah. Okay, my bad, y'all. But no, no, just believing in yourself goes a long way, I think. I feel like uh, as young black journalists, uh, media professionals, we're taught not to believe in ourselves. And so I feel like if you can say that I believe in myself, I affirm myself, then like it, it can make a lot more easier for you. You know what I mean? It can, it can change things in a really positive direction, but it has to start with that because and not enough, I feel like not enough people are telling kids starting a journey, yo, believe in yourself. Like, hey, you tell your mom you want to start a YouTube, you got a little mic, you got a phone, you can be a journalist. Like, yo, write that email to the people. You'll never know what they're going to say. Like, you know, they respond to you, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. Like, yeah, sure, yeah, you're, maybe you're 10, 13 years old, just come with your, your big cousin or your mom or something. Like, you just never know. And I think, like, that's the thing that we don't foster enough for our community. Like, give that black child room to grow. Give that black child room to shine. Celebrate them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yo, push them. Give them the opportunity to exposure to all these different things and tell them, yo, you can do that. Like, I'm right behind you. We are so many of our black, you don't get that. And that's going back to my experience as a, in working in education. You can see that a lot of kids never and know what anyone tell them, like, wow, I could be that. 
well, I could do that. Like, it don't matter what your goal is. Maybe you want to run uh, the local sanitation, the waste management in your city. You can do that. Maybe you want to be on TV. Maybe you just want to, like, have a decent job. So, like, your family don't got to struggle, bro. Like, you can do those things. But it has to start somewhere. And I do put it on us of, like, a certain generation to tell the kids, yo, yo, we, yo, we believe in you. You know what I'm saying? Like, because that matters so much. I, I cannot emphasize that enough, man. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great advice. Great advice. Donnell, you got extra questions to, My only th- as we end this? Yeah, I wanted to close with Mike. Just tell briefly, just tell me that, or at least let me know how important journaling was because journaling, journaling as a kid, some people journal as a kid, some people journal as an adult. I, I still do. How important is that to be getting your thoughts on paper to becoming a journalist? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's essential. I think it's something you got to just build a habit of. Mm-hmm. It's like if a kid uh, want to talk to like Jason Tatum about like, oh, yeah, how did you become like all NBA, one of the best players in the world? Humbly, as he said. I don't disagree. I don't. You, you got it. Yeah, it's a skill. Like it, tell that kid, take a basketball everywhere, you know, like dribble all the time. Dribble so much that you get on your parents' nerves. Like, take your journal everywhere with you. Take it with you to church. Take it with you to the, the doctor. Take it with you to school. And, like, just get busy with that. Like, have a, like literally get busy with it. Like, just journaling. Make it a habit, though. When you make it a habit, like, you make it a habit, like, it's not weird to you. And it becomes, to be quite honest with you, it becomes a, a comfort. It becomes a support to you. Like, you're going to realize there will be times when, like, maybe I can't get this out of my head or I can't figure this out. But if I'm writing on paper, this can, like, be a little bit more planable, if you will. Like, those things are super important. So, like, I think, like, journaling, just making it happy is what matters. So, Michael, thank you so much for your time, for for your wisdom, for your insight here. I, I've super appreciated this conversation, and it's it, there's a lot of little nuggets that have been uh, really important to hear. Mike, we appreciate you. Yeah, Mike, this was about. I mean, at the end of the day, is what is what we gotta like. We gotta do more of. I, I'm, I tell people all the time, bro. I'm no kind of Hollywood or whatever. Like, I think it's really dope that like you know people get opportunities to share like these insights because. Man, when I was learning stuff, man, I used to try to go to every camp, every uh, council meeting, every panel. You name it. I would legit yeah. be on. I would just be there. I would just be there. I would just be there and just trying to learn because so much of this information, I'm coming, this, this is the old school part of me. Like, I'm young enough to get some stuff, but I'm still old enough to remember certain things. I remember to where in which you could only get certain information if that person was right there for me. Yeah. That's always been my attitude. People are like, why are you why didn't you talk about NABJ and people like oh, I've so much? Cause it's like, bro, I'm telling y'all, there is no other way to get that information mm-hmm. unless you went to that person. Room. That person is a super be in the room. That is I'm the only way, bro. You the only way. You can't get it on TV, on your phone, whatever Google could tell you. You need you need to go 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 out. Everybody's scared. Everybody nervous. Everybody don't know what the hell we're gonna be doing. You're not alone. But at the least, if you go out there, you can meet people that can remind you, like, yo, man, like we we got we got something going on here. You know, we got something. So I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah. And, and if you need to find that information, hopefully that's this podcast too. 
That's the goal. Yes, sir. The goal is to share. We just want to share other black journalist stories, and we try to do that. Thank you, Michael. Yeah. Man, I thank y'all so much for your time, man. This was really, really dope, man.